I had a really strange dream last night where I had like chest hair. Wow. Like a lot of chest hair. Was and it was cool? Cause sometimes I think it'd be really cool to be really hairy. I tried yeah. to be really hairy. I didn't shave for eight years once, but the problem is I don't have body hair. <laughs> there was no hair. I like tried to have hair. And like, I only got like this weird little down on my legs and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I, got no I just I just really enjoy I didn't shave once for eight years. Hello, sisters, and welcome. Grab a drink and a familiar, cozy up by a bubbling cauldron, and join us for this meeting of the Sisters of the Night Caucus. Say hello, sisters. Hello, I am Katie. too fast on the buttons you were too fast yeah, on the well buttons. doing things slowly is not how i live my fucking life so <laughs> hello this is shanna <laughs> this is angela and we're back <laughs> and and this is jillian and we're we're shaking the rest off um we took a few weeks off because uh, a combination of depression and covid and <laughs> Um, but we're back now. Uh, happily, we have an amazing guest today and we will tell you about her in a minute. Um, I, <laughs> good Lord. Look, so we're, we're coming back to you with, we're not, we're not going to give you our own hexes. Um, I think it would probably a lifetime. We would spend an entire episode just hexing everything that we haven't hexed over the last, like, three weeks um but so we're gonna do some crowd sourced hexes um and i am gonna be the bad guy and take one first and this is the one uh, it is people who can't follow simple instructions i you've got the instructions i gave you the instructions I always lay out instructions very clearly because I know that if you're not crystal clear, somebody is gonna screw up and I'm okay with that. But when I get a little crazy is when it just seems like nobody even paid any attention to the instructions. And... <laughs> I just, you know, we've all got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And I just want you to, to just just do the instructions. Just do the do the instructions. Read the side of the pizza box. It's of life, uh, of my emails, whatever. Just do it. That's all. Just do the thing in the order. Read the instructions and do it. That's all. That's it. Who wants to go next? Angela does. Oh, all right. Shana, well, Shanna, Shanna unmuted first. Yeah. I just, yeah, because I wanted to see if my unmute capabilities were firing on all cylinders now. They are um, now, yeah. I don't know who said this. I remember reading it and thinking, oh, and th that won't happen to me again until tomorrow. <laughs> but the one that says waking up children or them waking you up. And yeah. the magic that is trying to wake up a kid on a school day when they're like, no, but then on the weekends, they wake up earlier than that. Yeah. For what I got home at 1.45 a.m. this morning and my beautiful, wonderful child woke me up at seven. So cheers, uh, everyone. Children are the best and also the worst. Yeah, I feel that deeply. I'm, I'm way past, because uh, mine is 15, I'm way past like, children waking me up early that would never happen in my house at this point but but waking my child up for school in the morning is like it is um a test of job. patience 
Yes. And to be fair, we all love our children more than anything yeah. on planet earth and would so literally kill much. for them. But also just saying it's fun. Sleep is also fun and also just getting up when mom says to get up is also pretty cool. <laughs> Next, Angela. All right. I I I have uh I'm happy. I'm happy to be the person who repre- <laughs> represents this hex. Uh you know, because um, you know. Some people wait a lifetime for a hex like this. And <laughs> I was going to sing that, but I'm sparing you all. I'm going to attempt not to sing this episode. Um, okay, so this hex is postcards. Um, <sighs> folks, if you are housebound, or cannot play another role in voter outreach, thank you for writing postcards and your contributions are greatly appreciated. For everyone else, everyone else, if you do not have a health-based reason why you cannot leave your home, or, you know, time-based. If you have little kids, I'll give you a pass too. Um, everyone else, <laughs> listen to me. The reason that we don't ask you to write postcards as the first order of business in field on a campaign is because they, they don't work. Study after study after study has shown that like literally they have an infinitesimal effect on reaching voters. So I, I think that there's a lot of reasons for this. I think that we caught a lot of bad habits during COVID in terms of, you know, we did things that we had to do to feel effective in 2020. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, that was postcard writing and, and that was okay. It's not 2020 anymore. I mean, and listen, I don't think I have to remind anyone that we barely, barely squeaked it through in 2020, barely. Mm. And it would be really cool if we could not squeak this one through. And the way to do that is on doors. So um, please maybe knock some doors. And if you really, really, really are uncomfortable with that and you want to stay in your home, you can make phone calls. That is all I have to say. I, I hex in the postcards on behalf of an anonymous coven member, but I, you know, I co-sign this. So please, 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 please. People don't even read the postcards. They don't read them at all. They just throw them away. And oh, an addition, and then I'm done. If you are going to be insistent on sending out postcards, if you have the audacity to send a non-union postcard to my home, I'm telling you what, like, I'm not going to forget that. And a lot of voters aren't. So cut that shit out. And Finn. Yeah. Door knocking increases voter turnout by a minimum of 13%. Thank you, Katie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I'm, I can't decide with some of these other crowdsourced hexes which one I want to do because I have things to say about all of them. <laughs> um, but I think, I think as somebody who, who writes an endorsement questionnaire, I'm going to go with the really weird conservative endorsement questionnaires. Like I write a pretty straightforward questionnaire. Will you do this? Here's the background on this issue. Plenty of room for comments. Maybe there's nuance in the issue. It is pretty straightforward. In fact, our guest even filled it out. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But like, there's no gotcha question. There's no funky worded thing on there. 
And if I ever see somebody on our side of the aisle do like a gotcha question questionnaire, like these weird, usually like Christo fascist organizations do, I'm coming yeah. for you because we should <laughs> not be doing that to people because then you get screwy answers, you get weird answers. And I don't know, maybe we actually want to know what people think. And even if there is nuance in a particular issue or question, we wanna hear their perspective on that nuance and really i mean y'all if you're a candidate filling out questionnaires research the organization who sent it first because some of them are a little too benignly um named it's true they get like real like you know normal sounding names at this point, actually, there are so many of those groups that have like very benign sounding names that honestly, like when I see a benign sounding name that I can't immediately identify, I'm like, this is some weird conservative shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alarm bells, alarm bells. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I'm like, that sounds meaningless. I know who this is. And those are the same people. And I'm just dialing this right into another one of the crowdsourced hexes. Those are the same people that have militia oriented poll observers oh my god yeah so militia gross poll, militia i cannot talk today i am terribly sorry militia oriented poll observers is another uh crowdsourced hex and it was it was very actually like no context but was dropped in um but yeah same groups do all of these things be aware be vigilant be prepared yeah. to volunteer, please, on election day to be a poll watcher because we're going to need a lot this time because yeah. of militia affiliated poll observers. Yeah, because of that. And like, for real, I, I you know, if you are interested in being a poll watcher, um, you know, get in touch with your county party, obviously, if you um, you can get in touch with us because uh, we have uh, all the details on uh, how you can get trained um, and the the coordinated campaigns um, preparation for all this stuff, which is really good. I'm very impressed with the voter protection team this year. So also you can also volunteer. Yes. And you can also volunteer with the campaign of your choice if that's yeah. your, um, you know, outside of Shapiro and Fetterman, I'm just saying like the campaigns also will have poll watchers and the more yeah. coverage that we can get, the better. So whoever you got to reach out to, reach out because their goal is pandemonium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, so that's some hexes. And um, as always, if you want to throw us a crowdsourced text then you should become one of our patreon members um more info on that later but for now oh my god so psyched um we're gonna introduce our guest this week and for that i'm gonna throw it to katie i am apologizing in advance to our amazing producer dr ack because I went a little long on the bio and it wasn't all I wanted. Anyway, so today we have amazing, badass, practically state representative elect, uh, Latasha Mays. She is a nationally recognized leader in the field of reproductive justice and human rights and leadership development for black women and girls. She is the founder and former president and former CEO for New Voices for Reproductive Justice, which is an organization in Pennsylvania and Ohio dedicated to the health and well being of Black women, femmes, girls, and gender expansive folks. New Voices advocates at the local, state, and national level for reproductive justice. She's also been on the board of the Groundswell Fund, which is one of the largest funders of reproductive justice. Uh, she also was on the Governor's Advisory Commission for African American Affairs. She's a past board chair, or excuse me, past national board chair for Sister Song Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective, which is one of the largest human rights advocacy groups for indigenous women and women of color. She's a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh. She 
has a master's from Carnegie Mellon. She has received numerous honors for her work. She's been published in several books. She's been featured in so many regional and national media outlets. I could go on with all of those details. Dr. Ack will kill me for editing purposes. Um, <laughs> but welcome, Latasha. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Yeah. So to kick it off with one hell of a CV, what is the professional experience that you have had that means the most to you and why? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's undoubtedly uh, my 18 years at New Voices for Reproductive Justice. Uh, an organization I founded with three incredible Black women who I always uh, say their names when I talk about the founding of our organization. That's Becca Zela and Rumi, Maria Dautruche, and Lois Tony McClendon. We were basically young and dumb, except for Tony, who was our community elder. But we were three young Black women, crazy enough to think that we could actually change Pittsburgh and change the world. And we did. And so that all of that work, building a movement for reproductive justice, which simply means we all have the human right to control our bodies and so much more um, in our lives. Uh, and that we should be able to do so in our daily lives, but as we encounter different institutions, but our policy, our policies and our laws must reflect that too. And so we were crazy enough to think that we could build a movement for reproductive justice rooted here in Pittsburgh. And it is something that has grown to something that I could not have even imagined with our work expanding across Pennsylvania and Ohio with operations in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. It is really being at the forefront and the vanguard of reproductive, reproductive health rights and justice work that's happening across the nation. And to have been part of a movement for 18 years that has only existed for about, what, 28 years now. So our movement for reproductive justice was began in 1994 and to have been a part of this movement for the last 18 years has not only changed my personal life, but it's prepared me to be able to walk into the Capitol on day one to kick some ass, because that's what our movement taught us to do and to fight for those who are at the margins, who have the least power, but whose expertise is their lived experience. And so I said on my campaign, when I win and when I go to Harrisburg, we're all going to Harrisburg. Um, I'm a community organizer at heart. And so my experience with New Voices is most meaningful, significant. I consider it the highest calling on my life, the purpose for my life. And now I'm taking that work into a different realm and a different platform. Oh, Angela, I thought you unmuted for a reason. No, I just unmuted in, in preparation of discussion. But like, I wish that the view, I, I really wish that the listeners had a visual of how we were all just staring at Latasha adoringly with big, big, dumb smiles on our face. Like, yes, yes. So I, I will add that. Like, we were just all kind of like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, are y'all just gonna stare at me or is this <laughs> Um, let me ask this then, because like I'm not I'm not sure I realized that new voices had been around so long. And so what what was founding this organization like? Like what did that process look like? You know, did you guys what were the barriers you faced? in starting New Voices? That's a great question. I mean, the barriers were people, the barriers were that uh, any people in power institutions or even a community, there was such a, a long education cycle for people to understand what reproductive justice was and is, and it's, like any movement, it, it grows and changes and expands. 
And with that, you have to have language that people can connect to. And so for so long, I mean, at the beginning, this is 2004. I know I don't look at day over 30, but you know, I've been doing this work for a long time. It started at co in college, actually, when I was, I came to Pittsburgh to go to the University of Pittsburgh um, back in 1999. So I started my work for reproductive rights at that time, I would say probably by the end of my freshman year, I was leading a campaign for Plan B because uh, it wasn't available in our um, student health center at night and on the weekend. So by the end of my freshman year, I was already uh, engaged. Um, and so we wanted to, I wanted to take that kind of work, that kind of activism in the community. And they really, we thought we could maybe find an organization that was doing similar or related work, whether it be a women's organization, a reproductive uh, health and rights organization, whether it be uh, a black, organization fighting for social justice but we couldn't find it and we looked for a long time we tried to work with Planned Parenthood of Western PA but there was no race or believe it or not gender analysis trying to work with some black organizations they either too conservative or also didn't have a gender analysis and so we just said we had to create it we have to create something ourselves and see what happens. So what really was the turning point was, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Alma Speed Fox. She um, died earlier this year um, in January, but she is the mother of both the civil rights and uh, women's rights movement in Pittsburgh. She has a building in the Hill District and she did this work. She was almost hundred years old when she passed away. So in her eighties, when I met her, she told me, that there was a march happening. I had met her through, uh, I was in the Coral Center for Civic Leadership. We had to do like a project. So I chose to do my community-minded project in the Hill District um, at Freedom Corner. And so I had to talk to her. Uh, the person, everybody said, you gotta talk to this spot. So we met, we hit it off. And um, you know, she is one of my political inspirations. And so she said, there's a March for Women's Lives happening and all these groups are coming together to get women to go. But there's a particular, um, there's a particular effort to get black women and women of color to go from five cities near DC and Pittsburgh was one of them. And so I resisted, resisted, resisted. And she's like, no, you're going to do it because you don't say no to her. And it changed my life. And so we, me and some of the founders of New Voices, the effort was called New Voices for Reproductive Justice. This is a new movement that was, you know, a national movement that was really coming into its own at that point. And so I was asked to organize Black women and women of color from Western PA to go to this march. And I saw that you had Jody Hirsch on previous episodes, mm -hmm. and she was a part of that organizing. Jody and I go back to when she was at Planned Parenthood, and I was on the board of Planned Parenthood back then too. But I was like, this is just too white. Like, this is where are the Black women? Where's our, we didn't have, we didn't. We weren't using the word intersectionality back then, but that's what I was asking for. Where's the internet intersectionality around identity, lived experience, movements, strategies, organizations? Where was all of that? It was kind of your standard mainstream white women-led organization. And so um, after successfully getting a busload of Black women and women of color to go, and I'm talking about we had city council members who were our bus captains back then. Tanya Payne was on city council, may she rest in peace. Um, she was our bus captain. And there were so many people who were going to do great things after that march, but we went the largest pro-choice quote unquote march in history. Um, 1.13 million people were there and it was the most women of color, young people, LGBTQ women and folks who were there. And it changed everything in our movements for repro we call it the repro movements, repro health, rights, and justice. And when we came back, everybody's like, what are we going to do when we came back? I was like, I have no idea. My job was to get you there and to get you back. <laughs> but that turned into 18 years of amazing, powerful work that literally has, be, has begun to change the face of reproductive move, repro movements in Pennsylvania and definitely in Ohio. So we're the first reproductive justice organization in Pennsylvania. 
Um, and, and the first in Ohio, we're not the only in Ohio, and we see other organizations emerging as a result. So I spent a lot of time in Harrisburg. I spent a lot of time in uh, Columbus. Um, and I understand working with my future colleagues, actually, and, and updating them about abortion access in this history, at least going back to 2010, because I was there before some of them, they even acknowledged that I was there before they were elected. Um, so, I'm, you know, so that it was hard. People didn't take us seriously. We couldn't raise any money. I remember a budget back in 2004, 2005, 2006 was about $14,000. Then our budget for many years was $110,000, which we never met, but we did amazing work. And so when I left, we had a $3 million budget. And wow. so it took a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of people, a lot of dedication, a lot of sacrifice. Um, but and we would say our 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 slogan for slogan and motto for all these years has been we specialize in the holy impossible because not only did we build something that was unique and transformative that would change this region and our state, but we built something that would last and a lot of organizations, no matter what your mission is, they're hard to sustain. And uh, I'm very proud of that work. And it's still hard. But I think if you ask people what reproductive justice is now, they would be able to tell you. They would be able to say, yeah, New Voices is the leading organization in our region and state. I mean, Philly is where I'm from, so to even be able to do the work there was full circle for me too. Um, and 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 even to be in Ohio is important. My father and his side of the family are from there. And that, that's a newer relationship for me. But I always felt like, I was like, I like Ohio. I know Ohio does a lot of <laughs> fucked up things. But um, I felt connected to it. It felt like Pittsburgh going to, you know, Northeast Ohio. So that's what it was like. I cannot imagine what in this current environment and all the conversations that we had in the lead up to Dobbs and after would have looked like if it wouldn't have been for your organization's presence for so long, building that awareness of reproductive justice and, you know, constantly pushing back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just so much respect for that work because, I mean, a lot of the conversations have already worked insufferable anyway and I I you know even with all of that knowledge building and so I have so much respect for the the insane amount of work that you all had to do pushing and pushing you know for for that intersectionality to even be a part of the landscape in in Pennsylvania um thank you and there's so much more to do because honestly after Roe v. Wade was overturned. I'm, when I tell you nobody know, knew what to do or knows what to do, I mean nobody knew what to do. I had so many calls that day. And I'm like, but y'all knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> Even at the, at, at early May, you knew it was gonna happen. But that day, I was just really struck by the fact that no one knew what to do. I mean, the leak even and, gave a head start, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people have been talking, I mean, we've known, in our movements, we've known it was coming for years. Black women have been saying this for years, like years of pro-choice framework does not get us what we need. Everybody does not have a choice in what happens to their bodies if they decide to have children or not. Um, and all the other things that are related to it. And, and so that was 2014, there was this article in New York Times about the pro-choice movement and how it's not really, that pro-choice frame is not being used, but it was attributed to Planned Parenthood when it really needed to be attributed to the reproductive justice movement because of our analysis that choice is so limiting and, and exclusive, choice is a privilege, 
And so that really began, I think, a big shift for people understanding how broad reproductive justice is. But I'm sure you may hear it, and I see the Democratic Party trying to use it, but they don't know and understand what it means and where it comes from. And so that's always the challenge too. You want some, you want your idea, you want uh, your vision, your movement to become mainstream that people recognize and understand it. But so much of it still gets watered down and there's always the struggle of like, how much do we want to like keep and hold on to it? You know, as the reproductive justice movement, how much do we let it be in the world? Um, but so many times it gets co-opted um, mainly by white women and white people around what it means. It's not like the new trendy language for abortion rights or the new trendy language for pro-choice. So I, uh, you know, you want progress, you want people to know and understand what it is, but you also want them to know the source. And so I see that I have to even say something to one of my endorsing organizations, vote pro-choice. They did the same thing. I said, when did y'all start using reproductive justice language? You know, and 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 to keep accountable, I, I saw the Allegheny County Young Gems, same thing. They made a whole post about reproductive justice and didn't mention new voices. Where the you know where the the movement in Pennsylvania began, and so those are the things that you see when you have the expansion or prolifer proliferation of of thought, of thought leadership and movement ideas is cite the source cite the source, especially when you have it right in your backyard in Pennsylvania. So um, that's those are the things I'm seeing now in this moment is that no one knows what to do. There's this like co-optation from the progressives around what reproductive justice is. But I, I, and, but no action, you know, and, and the Dems, the Dems, um, I think their tagline is defend choice. I don't know if that's the state or if it's national, but I'm like, it's been past time to really say abortion and talk about abortion and do it in an unapologetic way. Um, a good thing is I've seen so many people, uh, whether they're elected leaders, policymakers, celebrities actually saying abortion. Um, because even a few years ago, we're still talking about, and even now we're saying a woman's right to choose, but everybody who needs an abortion is not a woman. And as I said before, everybody who needs an abortion doesn't have the choice to get one or have mm -hmm. access to get one. So that language has to change. But I have seen uh, also that we are using more expansive language, which I think is one of the something that New Voices has contributed to and other reproductive justice organizations have contributed to um, and like-minded white-led or mainstream organizations, some um, have been leading. They've been leading that charge to make it as expansive as possible. So I call people who need abortions, abortion seekers, and that gives so much more room for whomever may need an abortion in Pennsylvania or across the nation. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time because everyone's trying to trying to change messaging, but they're not they're not aware of the inconsistencies, you know, that 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 are really apparent, for instance, like using reproductive justice language, but also like not being um, not being abolitionists and other in in other policy i mean there's just the inconsistencies there are enormous and frustrating but i mean it steps baby steps i'm just so like i said i'm so grateful that that there's i'm grateful that your organization has like put that line in the sand in terms of like here's the framework like here, here are the best practices. Here is the framework. And like, if you're not the whole way here, then like, we need to talk about that. Right. I mean, and that's, I mean, we did that. That's what we have consistently done for the last 18 years too, is, is 
not only keep refining and evolving our framework, but showing people how you live it. It is not just words, you live it. So if you're a doctor or healthcare provider, this is how, how you practice reproductive justice when you engage with your patient. If you're, uh, you know, if you're teaching healthcare providers, teach them how to provide abortions. And I, I understand that they only get a few days to, to learn the procedure. So you can, you can live reproductive justice by, you know, making sure that medical students have the opportunity to learn how to provide the procedure, even if that's not what they ultimately do. But when you have a situation like this, they can say, I know how to do it. And I feel confident in doing it. Or when we have a practice where we know that there's a black maternal health crisis, then the way you live reproductive justice is you have to have a bold vision for how you, how we end the crisis. And, and we know what the factors are. The factors are not education and economics, it's racism. So what, you know, how we, how are you uprooting medicalized racism? If we know that most, um, 44% of non-elderly Black people rely on Medicaid in Pennsylvania, then you don't limit access to the services, the healthcare services they can receive. And, and, and that's, that's what's happening with abortion and other procedures and uh, access to care. Um, you know, I think about back in 2015 when the Voices and the Women's Law Project sued the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services because they would not give they would not give full health insurance through the Affordable Care Act to over 80,000 low-income women across the state. And they were on a limited form of family planning uh, health insurance called Select Plan for Women. I'll never forget that. Why are we limiting healthcare access when we should be expanding it? And you know, those 80,000 low-income women were from across the state, um, from all types of uh, racial backgrounds. And so that's the you know, that's from my advocacy, policy, legal, policy, legal, legislative advocacy. Um, and so I'm so ready to get to Harrisburg to sit on the other side and, and push not only our Democratic caucus forward, hopefully, I mean, I dream of, uh, I dream of November 9th and we flip the house because then we're, then we really, we really cook it. You know, then we can really, take off like a rocket ship with all the progressive changes that Pennsylvanians need, whether they understand it or not, just across the board. How can we make changes and actually concretely impact people's lives every day? So I'm, I'm so ready for that. If we don't flip the house and we see a constitutional amendment for the primary next year, I'm ready for that too. I'm like, let's go because you're not, you're not in Pennsylvania, not in Pennsylvania, we're gonna allow, you know, our rights to continue to be taken away from us. There's a, your, your comments about how we're framing and the language that we're using and co-opting um, leads me to another question that I had, clearly professionally based, um, <laughs> but, like, I just was sitting here thinking, like, I really love the white-led organizations that call themselves an environmental justice organization and barely have any people of color on staff. I'm not going to call my organization an environmental justice organization, but we do try to lift up environmental justice. There's a big difference. And I am dying for the day when the environmental movement stops calling it environmental justice and calls it what it is, which is environmental racism, and attribute both the justice and the racism phrases to the black men who created them. Right. And not Absolutely. keep co-opting that shit. Absolutely. And I mean, I've done environmental justice work too, as you as you know, because yep. I filled out I filled out my questionnaire. <laughs> <laughs> so many question questionnaires for anybody who wants to run for office. It's like it's like taking the test multiple times a week. Um and sometimes multiple choice, sometimes it's like all essay. And I live for um, I live for a multiple choice questionnaire <laughs> with the option to comment. Are um, you a fascist? Yes or no? <laughs> like, Do you like uh, humans? Yes or no? Uh, These are easy. Yeah. 
and they are. I'm like, is this a trick question? It's like taking the, uh, the SAT. I'm like, let me read that again. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, but I think they're trying to get me. And you're so right also about the, the innocuous sounding ones. I'm like, oh, vote first? That sounds like a, that sounds like I should probably do this. And then I go to the website <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, you don't want me to vote this out. Um, <laughs> and then guys are so like, I gotcha. I'm just like, no, you're not going to get me today. So anyways, um, yeah, I've done environmental justice work since like 2009. And it's the same thing. Like there's no, there wasn't not only a racial, just, a racial justice analysis, there wasn't a gender justice analysis either. So New Voices is one of the few reproductive justice organizations that had a strong intersectional um, body of work for environmental justice and environmental racism. Um, and when I left, we had created a new initiative, a new national initiative called Black Women Green Future. So it's like, how do we connect all the Black women and femmes and gender expansive folks who are leading environmental justice efforts in communities across the nation. We also honored 26 Black women leaders uh, at the end of last year, from New Orleans to LA, and of course, from Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Cleveland. Um, down, we have some folks down south in the Northeast. And how do we connect that work? Uh, and then the, one, the way we did it was through talking about Black women's hair. That's actually how we were able, we have to be inventive around talking about environmental justice in order to get people to understand um, because a lot of Black folks probably still do see it as a very much, very much a white movement. I'm um, in, in a white movement that's saying it's like, attentive to the needs of black and brown folks and poor folks by saying they're environmental justice organizations and so you just have this chaotic landscape and you know a lot of the organizations in western pa for many years um were led by white men um and and still are but we see emerging in long time black environmental justice leaders in pittsburgh and of course in philadelphia even in Cleveland, we had an icon pass away last year, you know, but they don't get the Black environmental justice leaders and any kind of social justice work. You don't get the same shine as you do if you were leading a mainstream organization or the same credit or the same acknowledgement. You normally are doing extraordinary things just so that your work can even be seen and, 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 and be visible and, and, and be effective. Um, so I've you know, as a environmental justice uh, organizer and advocate too, I know that I'm bring, I would be bringing a different voice to Harrisburg around that as well. Um, or when I see, you know, environmental justice communities, you know, as the framing that you know that are that we're using to talk about the impact of environmental racism. I think that is a step in the right direction, but I think people don't always understand what, what it means too. Or that like, for example, the whole home repairs bill that was passed and the monies allocated for that, those impact environmental justice and environmental racism. I don't think we always make the connections to the concrete things like filtered water, um, and making sure people have clean water, and also making sure people can afford water access. Like, you know, so New Voices was part of our, our water campaign for years. And so, I again, I'm going to be bringing such an intersectional background to being an elected legislator in Harrisburg. And, and I, you know, not only study policy, but worked on policy and I say to people, I actually know what I'm talking about. So I, I, I really am excited to share my knowledge and learn also um, about how we can, again, be of greater service to all Pennsylvanians. I'm waiting for There's somebody. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Like yeah. really excited, really thrilled that you're going to be in the new class of legislators. But I really want Shanna to do our transition question. 
I'm oh. so good at the awkward ones. Thank you. So, um, I'm sorry. I've just been like absorbing all of this and feeling like inspired for the first time in a couple of weeks. Cause it's been like a shitty couple of weeks. So sorry that we're all awkwardly staring at you, but like <laughs> our souls really need to hear you. Um, but on that note, wait, does it have to be cats or dogs or can I go weirder? Go weird. Go weirder. Go, weird. go, weird. go real weird. So I am a middle school teacher and, um, I teach band and, like eighth grade elective music classes. And the, the first day of class, I don't do anything academic because who the fuck wants to do that? Um, and so I always <laughs> ask them, like, as I'm trying to learn their names, um, to tell me what their favorite animal is. So rather than put you in a box of, are you a cat person or a dog person? Because some people are both and some people are neither. And some people don't fucking care. Um, do you have a favorite animal? Like we all do. I have three. I like aardvarks and capybaras and wombats because I'm strange. So like, can you embrace the weird a little and like, tell us if you have a favorite animal or like a little floof that helps you stay calm at night or eats your garbage, you know, who knows? Um, I actually really like panda bears. Nice. Yeah. And I, I, and I have a cat and his name is Mr. Kitty. And I love him so much. <laughs> I love that too. My son is going to be a panda bear for Halloween this year. We are going oh, as wow. We Bear Bears, the Cartoon Network cartoon, if anyone is familiar. I'm going to be the polar bear. He's going to be the panda bear. So What's it called? We, we bear, bear Bears. We Bear Bears. B-A-R. Yes. So I assume it's because they're naked. I don't really understand it. it's because they're naked. We Bear Bears. bears. Bear. Yeah. They stand on top of each other in a little stack of bears. It's very interesting. Wait, they're yeah. stackable? Yes, they're stackable. Yeah, this is why Katie flipped it to me. I apologize, but I really I'm, I'm into this. Panda bears. I mean, bears that stack up is interesting. I wish we could stack up like uh Volvo in a trench coat. Do you mean in yeah. a trench coat and run for lieutenant governor? Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> We'd be we would like be the awesome 12 governor. foot tall lieutenant governor <laughs> yeah i want to be like that combined with a mecca mm, okay. that's all i'm yeah. saying this is a vibe i'm in voltron in a trench coat yeah running for lieutenant governor yes. katie did i satisfy your need for weird thank you and it was like a wonderful tradition from like tradition god i cannot god damn talk everything was so serious and then here transition the like, exactly like, See, we needed the humor to get into like the next question of yeah. um i think you well, kind of actually already answered this uh what motivated you to run for office in a shitty hyper-partisan climate that we have right now instead of just continuing your activism and good work instead of just minding my business. Um, <laughs> I knew I was gonna run for something. I ran for city council in 2015 um, in district seven. I live in Morningside, which is next to Highland Park. And I did not win, but I learned a lot and I took that experience with me as I continue to grow new voices. And so I, a lot of opportunity is emerged, but let's just be honest. There's not a lot of opportunities for a, a out lesbian black woman to run and win. Right. So, you know, these elected officials hold on to these seats like a dog with a bone from their dead cold hands. Like those, the opportunities are extremely rare. Um, and so, I had thought about running for a variety of positions um, and actually didn't necessarily think I was running for state rep, to be honest with you, because of what you just described as the state of affairs there. Uh, but you know what? When uh, our mayor, Ganey, Ed Ganey, won his seat on election night, I think it, it not only inspired me, but it like changed something in me. And when I left my organization in March, I was not planning to run for office. 
Oh, I'm sorry. When I announced, I announced I was leaving Voices in July 2019. I'm sorry, July. I'm gonna get my years and stuff. July 2021. I announced that I was leaving New Voices, but I, it wasn't because I was going to run for anything. I just thought it was time. I thought it was time to think about new my next chapter. And so when Mayor again won his seat, when he won the mayor's race, my, you know, my mind, my soul kind of got activated. Like, you have to run now. You have to run. And I knew there are other people who were already, people were starting to tell me, oh, this person is running and that person is running and this person is running. Plus redistricting, our favorite thing that happens every 10 years. <laughs> but I, since I live on the edge of the district, I was like barely in the 24th. It wasn't clear if my block would go to uh, 21 with Rep. Sarah and Amarato. I had to wait to just to see if I even had a chance of being in the district. And that was hard too. Like, do I announce now? Do I wait? I'm already behind. And so, um, but I felt like in this moment where we knew, I knew that abortion access in Pennsylvania, it was, it was about to be, it was about to all come crumbling down, that there would be no better person, no better leader, no better activist advocate to be, to, to go to Harrisburg during this time than me. Um, in spite of all of the bipartisanship and polarization, I know my presence alone will change what happens in Harrisburg and what happens for Pennsylvania. Um, I'll be the first woman ever elected from this 24th, the new 24th, the old 24th. There's never been a woman. There's always been black men. It's never been a woman um, to hold this seat. And I'll be the first out lesbian in, in the General Assembly. That makes a difference in terms of my experience, how I look at things, what I know, and you know, combined with my own professional background and dedication to Pennsylvania, you know, that will make a difference. And I know my presence alone can change what happens for the next 10, 20 years, what happens for generations to come, whether it's trans kids and abortion access or our environment and minimum wage and our teachers and students and young people and, and passing the human relations uh, act to that allows LGBTQ Pennsylvanians to be human beings and have legal and civil protections. Like I know my presence there will make a difference. And in keeping and with and that's why I decided to run. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to disrupt politics as usual because I'm a political party outsider. I'm an organizer, community and people first, always. But people don't know my background. I worked on so many campaigns in the 2000s from school board to the governor's race. So I have been part of the party apparatus at different times. Um, but that, that wasn't my path. And I went my path, but here I am. And, you know, winning against two other opponents, one being the party choice and one being the incumbent technically because there was a special election to win with 46% of the vote by a thousand votes speaks volumes. And it, it was a decisive victory that showed what voters want and need in their leaders. And so I take that with me as we go into the general election and when I'm sworn in on January 3rd. So. Uh, that's why I ran to disrupt politics as usual, and we're doing that. My very presence alone disrupts politics as usual. Am I allowed to say, and edit this out if I'm not allowed to say it, that in mm -hmm. Allegheny County, I feel like it's a good thing if you are not the party's choice. It was an excellent thing. It was, it, it was to my advantage. You know, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> so many people counted out, counted me out in my race, but I'm like, okay, you know, community organizing always trumps party politics, right? But yeah. it's just like the elect this idea of black women and black people and women and LGBTQ people being electable is like 
it's it's a, a total farce because we are exactly who voters want, exactly who voters need, not these like cookie cutter, go along, get along, a candidates who run. And and so that to me, I was I saw it as an advantage. And people are not paying attention to what the party does in the first place. So I don't know, you know, why that platform like I didn't let that discourage me, but you see how you see how the apparatus works and how you know people coalesce and all of that, and it's 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 extremely troublesome and challenging. But you have to have a sense of a, a fortitude in that situation, um, because people voters recognize real people, people who have independent thoughts, and they can see right through it. They can see right through any kind of BS and you gotta get on those doors as y'all said. And that was my favorite growth. I mean, we had like a month, maybe six weeks in our to actually campaign after we got on ballot because everything was so truncated. And all of that made a difference. Cause even if you don't knock every door, the door you knock, that's five, maybe 10 other people who are gonna vote for you because their friends saying, oh, she came to my door. Oh yeah, it was raining. She knocked on my door. She, they called me too, and I got a text, and I got a postcard. Even though y'all like torpedo in my postcard program, um, <laughs> like, well, damn, guess you don't need to do that. But um, all of that, we have it's to put a good it add on. It's a good add on. Add on, okay. Yeah, I can do it as an add on. But no, like knocking on doors is that the most high value way to connect with voters, and it, it mattered. Even though I, we didn't do as nearly as much as I had hoped we would do, but it did, it made, it made a difference. So that's my long answer to your question. I love I'm it. Just, Listen, so, no, me. No, I'm making a comment. You can okay, fine. <laughs> I would just like to say, one of the other reasons I'm really excited for you to come to Harrisburg is because then maybe other people will not give me the shit for wearing fucking hats and you can make me more confident <laughs> with wide brimmed hats because I do more of a traditional fedora and like I'm the only fucking one. <laughs> oh yeah I mean I'm like if we want to see if that's going to be a battle on the house floor because I've been wearing my hats long before I was running for office and yes I'm a hat enthusiast so I can help <laughs> you with your hat game. Uh, Thank you. Gotta, I have to see what you're working with first. <laughs> She's got a, an increasing and a growing collection of fedoras um, I, and ball caps, and I, I do the short brims. I need I to think get more. The wide brim could really work for you, though, Katie. Teeny like, head, Latasha's, tall body. Nah, Latasha's hats are amazing. Like they are. That's true. Like true. Um, all right, listen. So Doctor Ack told me that we have to get to our last question. This is no. an important one. So first of all, reaction time. Um, Latasha, we gave you that link. Um, that is the state song of Pennsylvania. What do you think? First of all, I didn't even know there was a state song of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Right? <laughs> I'm like, do I, need to learn, do I need to learn this song yeah. was my first question. No, don't and do that. I'm like, they didn't teach us this in, in in school so no um yeah I didn't even know there was one so thank you for enlightening me and uh <laughs> how long has it been a song here's like, yeah see okay. that's the right question because like you would think based on the song that it's like from like the late 1800s or something or you would early, be wrong you the would 90s wrong. the 1990s the early 90s so our, our state, our Commonwealth wasn't even respectable enough to have a, a, a state song before 40 years ago, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, and when they chose um, it, it was like the the like old white man's quartet of doom. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, as long as I don't have to learn it. I'm, I'm no. Good. Well, so this is, we're going yeah, somewhere this is the thing. This. So we had this idea that we would like to do a contest called Penavision in the style of Eurovision, wherein every county in Pennsylvania competes to like create the new state song of Pennsylvania. Um, it's a competition show. We believe that it will bring everybody together. And what we want to ask is when you are elected, uh, will you support the winner of Penavision? 
as the new state song? Um, I'll say to be determined because the song needs to be at least better than what you shared with me. So I'll true. say yeah, I think it's going to depend heavily on who's yeah. judging. Let yeah, I mean, judge. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we get some lame ass judges they're gonna be like but i really like 70 year old men in barbershop quartets then this whole fucking thing is ruined Wait, so hold like, up. no are that's we not gonna happen the judges are we picking we're the judges pick oh we're picking people? the judges Jesus. okay um, judges and cannot also- be the legislature the judges can be legislators but not stupid ones <laughs> yeah only good legislators <laughs> and sorry wow. i don't mean to say not stupid one but like no white men allowed i don't care how cool they are no like you've had a good run. Shut the fuck Sorry, up. Sorry, Mike Schlossberg. <laughs> Sorry, we like you and all, but no. Sit this there one. Are, there are cool white men. Oh, probably like five of them. Somewhere. I do want like Bob Casey to at least kick it off saying this is the history of the state song. Because you know he he's going to keep out on that for 20 minutes. He you can know that- here and point to a map and say, and this is the submission from Wayne County. It's Ooh, up here. Bring out the map for this. That's but no cool. Wait, could he be our, our like our... um? You know, there's always like a pretty, like usually a pretty white woman is like the, you know, like announces white. like the next act or whatever. Bob Casey, though. What if, what if our pretty white woman is Bob Casey? So y'all know that his dad was who signed the state song into existence, right? Well, that's yeah. perfect then. That's why. Okay. So now it all makes he's, sense. He's, he's going to make good. On yeah. the wrong that has been done. Writing the wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, listen, okay. so that's oh god, we're ah. we're strange. Um we appreciate that that you will con- consider whatever song we get because we will have like we want like we want a production, costumes. Um, we want Allegheny County to have like pierogies and pickles dancing or whatever oh i'm here for that i'm here for all the pomp and circumstance and i love a production so uh i'm i'll be waiting for my invitation to be a judge Excellent. you remember holographic you. tupac remember holographic tupac that they did yeah i got yeah. I, I have a brand new idea i haven't pitched this one yet i'm saying allegheny county needs a holographic myron cope oh. in their production <laughs> okay intriguing um well so that that is our last question for the day and so we just want to thank you so much latasha for spending time with us um it's been fantastic and i'm so excited for everybody to hear this episode because you're awesome <laughs> well thank you all so much for uh inviting me to uh, share this time with you and just to talk very candidly about the state of affairs in Pennsylvania. And I look forward to the new state song for Pennsylvania. (laughs) And um, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Oh my goodness. So listen, um, events, events. Um, For the love of God, we are less than 60 days out. Please go to mobilize.us slash PADEMS or your local candidate page and volunteer to do anything. Go do things. Don't flake. Don't be a flaker. When we call you or when somebody calls you and says like, are you going to do this canvas shift? You better show up. You never know because I might show up at your door and be like, why aren't you knocking doors right now? Um, they can but go to Latasha, uh, yeah, they can go to Latasha for PA.com too. go to Latasha for PA.com. Uh, come on and, and just get out there. Um, also, if you um, did not vote by mail in the primary election and you would like to vote by mail in the general, uh, please make sure to sign up for your mail in ballot. Um. Uh, and I say that specifically because, of course, if you did vote by mail in the primary election, that means you're already going to get a mail-in ballot for the general. If you um, selected the box. If you selected the box. So, you know, check. Double check your status. Um, go to, uh, what's the what's the website now? Is it vote.pa? They changed it again. 
they change it all the time, which feels like I don't know if it's like voter suppression, but it is definitely annoying. It's vote.pa. Um, it's vote.pa. I hate that they changed it because I really liked Olivia Bennett was calling it the vote spa. And I really liked oh. that. Like that's where you go to get your voting needs vote taken spa. care of. The vote yeah, spa. they ruined it. Why did they and ruin I, it? I thought that was really cool and I was adopting it and then they ruined it. Yeah, they ruined it. Oh, listen. Okay, so that's what you need to do. If you want uh, more of us, more fun content, more us being ridiculous, um, if you want to, you know, get some fun one-on-one, join our community uh, by becoming a member of our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the night caucus. Um, and $5 a month gets you into our private discord, which is just like, honestly, an amazing and like growing community of people of various levels of involvement in politics and so you know we really get to have like some fun in-depth discussions um and you know we're a resource for each other we love it and if you don't um, have five bucks what can you do if you don't have five bucks you can oh you can apply for you leave a scholarship <laughs> we haven't done it for a while sorry we have a scholarship um on our on our link tree um and you can apply uh because we do i think have a couple spots open um we have a level of 15 dollars a month where our people that are do 15 dollars a month uh they get both a shanna danielson original cross stitch and uh give somebody the opportunity to join our discord so um yeah uh it's fun questions um so be creative when you answer them um we know we we don't want normal answers we don't know how weird you are um and that yeah uh in any case just finally and once again like many many thanks uh i sang for you angela uh to latasha mays uh and of course um my sisters katie and shanna and angela um, our delightful and mysterious producer, Dr. Ack. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Night Caucus. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. And, uh, and of course, join us, join our community by becoming a Patreon supporter. And that's it. Apply for your mail-in ballot, bitches. <laughs>